Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31. You can follow along in your Bible, in your bulletin, or I believe on the screen behind me. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that sounds like a great uh, Thanksgiving text, doesn't it? Today, if you follow the words of, uh, of that. So Molly and I, have a, uh, we have a granddaughter who lives at Orlando here. Her name is Wells. And Wells was born on June 20th of 2020. So she was a COVID baby. So now she's like a year and five months old, and she's, uh, she's starting to get mobile. She's starting to walk around and starting to do things, which is really exciting. I was over at our daughter Mary Kate's house, another part of Orlando, and uh, Wells, her child, her daughter was out there in the yard just sort of walking around, running up and down the sidewalk, and I saw her start to walk towards the street, and she got near the curb, and her mother said to her, uh, no, you can't go across that into the street. So I don't even know what Wells understands, but there's this warning from her mother to not step out into the street. And the reason that Mary Kate would give that warning is so that would be a huge fear to have your child running out in the street with cars walking by. And I don't know how, how Wells would take the warning. You know, there will be times in life where her mom will give her warnings, watch out for this, watch out for that. There will be the hot stove. There could be things when she's a teenager. There could be all sorts of things. And I'm not sure that Wells was always, is always going to appreciate that warning. Well, the passage of Scripture that we're about to read or that we're about to talk about this morning is, a, is one of the warning passage, passages in the book of Hebrews. There are actually four warning passages that we've, we've looked, that we've come across. But we have one today, a warning passage that we get to talk about this morning, and it comes from a pastor's heart. He is, the, the reason this warning is there is if you go back to the, uh, the time in which this was written, the book of Hebrews was written to people who had professed faith in Christ, and they were Hebrews. They came from a Jewish background. They came from the Old, the Old Testament sacrificial system, and they were going through Roman persecution. They were going through all sorts of temptation, all sorts of reasons to abandon the faith. And what the writer to the Hebrews is afraid of is that they would go back on what they had professed they would go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system and reject the sacrifice of Christ. And so he writes this warning passage here. And you might think, well, how does this warning passage apply to us? What we're going to learn from this passage is we're going to learn some things about divine judgment. Now, divine judgment is very little talked about 
today. But it's a very important topic in scripture. But it's often neglected both in our world and it's often neglected in the church. But we're gonna talk about it this morning. Remember when I was a young Christian, I, uh, my pastor, just, I'd just been a Christian maybe just a few years, and my pastor gave a sermon called Common Objections to the Biblical Doctrine of Hell. And I looked back and I thought, you know, I am so glad that my pastor gave that sermon for a couple of reasons. Number one, he was honest. He didn't hold back on the truth of this part of the gospel, this part of scripture. He was honest, but he also helped me make sense of what the Bible teaches about the justice of God. It was, a, it was a sermon that I will never forget. So my hope this morning and my heart for you is that you will view this sermon in a similar way, that you'll look back and say, I heard a sermon on divine justice that we didn't mince words, we did not withhold the truth, though it's tempting to do that, and we heard a sermon that reflects what the Bible teaches accurately about the justice of God. As I said, we often disregard divine judgment. Uh, we often miss out on divine judgment. And I think there are several things, if we disregard this topic, if we in this church or in our Christian life, if we disregard the topic of divine judgment, we will miss out on some very important things. So the, the way we're gonna approach this sermon is I'm gonna talk about three things that we will miss if we miss divine judgment, if we, if we disregard it, if we don't talk about it, there are three things that we will miss. So here we go, number one, we're gonna go through the first thing that we miss. If we disregard divine judgment, we will miss the danger of rejecting Christ. We'll miss the danger of rejecting Christ. So look back in the passage, we're gonna just walk through this text, I invite you to follow along with me there in Hebrews 10, verse 26. Let's look at these words once again. Look at the warning in this passage. Look at the danger of rejecting Christ. He says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So what does he mean by uh, if we go on sinning deliberately? Let me tell you what he doesn't mean. Those are very carefully chosen words, if we go on sinning deliberately. He's not talking about the sins that you and I commit every day, the sins we confess this morning as Lydia was leading us. He's not talking about, we even said, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everybody in this room is a sinner. We say that the church is a hospital for sinners. We say that we move forward as sinners, that we all need a savior, that we all need the gospel. We all sin Mike Tilly sins every day in thought, word, and deed. It is also not talking about what we might call, uh, Christians, uh, older Christians used to call these besetting sins, sins of, of anger or hatred or lust or things that kind of keep recurring in our life that get us down, that we want victory over. It's not talking about that because a person who believes in Christ, a genuine Christian, will confess their sins. They know that they have a high priest who always intercedes for them. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. The Bible offers us forgiveness. So what does it talk about sinning deliberately? Well, in the Old Testament, this was referred to as sinning with a high hand. It is the final rejection of Christ that is being talked about here. It is possible 
It is possible to say the words, to profess faith, to say the right words. It is possible to look the right way, but this was referring to a person who has never embraced Christ. They have finally rejected Christ even though they've been around Christianity. So look back again at that. One of the reasons we can see what's going on here, look at the end of verse 26. He says There's no, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What's he talking about there? Well, these, these, uh, these Hebrews, if you will, we're gonna go back to the Old Testament sacrifices, and he said, if, if you do that, you're rejecting the sacrifice of Christ, meaning you do not have a sacrifice for your sins anymore. You will have to pay for your own sins. So that's what he's talking about here, the final rejection of Christ. And look at the danger in verse 27. I said, we'll miss out on the danger of rejecting Christ. Verse 27 says, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins, 26 and 27, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This is an amazing warning. This is a warning to not reject Christ. If you do, you will pay, for, you will pay the, your own price for your sins. You won't have a sacrifice and you will experience judgment. Now, for a lot of ears that this could fall upon, they might say, well, we live in a, a, a relativistic society. We say to everybody, you be you, I'll be me. And there's a general sense of tolerance. So how does that relate to that? How can it be loving? How can it be loving to let people know that Christ is the only way that, to God, that Christ is the only sacrifice for them, and that if they reject Christ, they will experience divine judgment? How can that be loving? Well, I want you to imagine with me for a moment, this is how I've thought about it over the years. Let's say, okay, so we're in this kind of theater type room, and let's say there's a fire in the room, and we all need to escape from this room. And that door over there, let's just say that's a closet, and that's a closet, and that door out there doesn't get us out of the building, and we know that there's only one, one door that will get us out of there. If there's a fire going on in here, it is not loving to say to everybody, just choose whatever door you want. Just, just do it, and, and that's tempting to do that. We don't wanna hurt people's feelings. We don't wanna take a stand. We don't wanna be rejected. But if there is only one door that will get you away from the fire, that will get you out of this building, and it's that door over there, we would by all means tell everyone, choose that door, go through that door. If you go to the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he is that door. He is the door to life. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It is the most loving thing that we can do to take a stand for the truth of the Gospel and Christ being the only way to God. Let's go to the second thing that we miss. The first thing that we miss is we miss the danger of rejecting Christ, the Son of God, and rejecting his sacrifice. The second thing that we miss is the justice of God. We miss the justice of God. If we, if we disregard divine judgment, then we miss the justice of God. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says these words, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a rich man boast in his riches, let not a, a a wise man boasts of his wisdom, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises 
loving kindness and justice and righteousness in the earth. What we learn throughout the whole Bible is that the love of God and the justice of God are united together. They are married together. God is both perfect love and perfect justice. And so God does not exercise his love. Think about this. God does not exercise his love without also exercising his justice. And he does not exercise his justice without also exercising his love. They are his attributes. That's what Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says. It says that throughout the Bible. Now the problem with many in the church today, the problem with our world today is that we want to ignore the justice of God. Now we, we all care about justice. We all want right things to happen. Every week you've got, you've got injustices that bother you. But the reality is we get our, we are made in the image of God and any justice that we have comes from God himself and his justice is perfect. But it is neglected these days to talk about that. But it wasn't, it wasn't always that way. Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence, did that in a time where he knew that slavery still existed in our country. Thomas Jefferson said, when I remember that God is just, I tremble for my country. The justice of God. God is a just God. What justice is, is the application of equity to a moral situation. So look at this passage again. Go down to verses 28 and 29. Let's talk through these two verses about the justice of God. Verse 28 says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses. Now he's referring back to the Old Testament because that was their framework. He wants to remind them of something. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. What the writer is talking about here is he's saying this is the case against you if you reject the gospel. There is a threefold rejection here. Look carefully at these words. Verse 29 says, how much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? So the first thing a person does to, to, to do this means that you have rejected the person of Christ. You have rejected the Son of God. What happened with Corbin up on stage with his baptism? I asked him, do you believe in Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? So the first thing that's happening here, the case against those who reject Christ, is you've rejected the Son of God. And then secondly, Look at the next phrase, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. So it's rejecting the work of Christ. It's re rejecting the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. A person that rejects Christ, the reason that it is a just judgment is they're, they're rejecting, they have profaned the blood of Christ. And then finally, look at the third one there, and has outraged the spirit of grace. So this is the resisting of the Holy Spirit. This is... The Holy Spirit is the one who knocks on the door of our hearts. He is the one that brings the gospel to us. We, out, we outrage the spirit of grace when grace comes near us and we reject the gospel. 
And for, that, for those reasons, it, it, God, is, God is perfectly just to judge people. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, is this, is this beneath God? If you think about uh, you know, what, what God is like, I remember, I remember when my pastor talked about those common objections to the biblical doctrine of hell, and he talked about somebody that came up to him and, and, and said, you know what, my God would never do something like that. But the reality is what we often do is we make, uh, we, we make up a God of, of, in our minds. It's a God of our own making. And we, we have this sort of Santa Claus view of God where God's just saying, hey, I was just, I was just kidding about all that judgment stuff, everybody come into heaven. No, it would not be true to say that. That would not represent the justice of God. But is it beneath God to, to implement divine judgment? Is it beneath God to be wrathful against sin? And I want to direct you to a quote from J.I. Packer. It's in your bulletin, the inside front page. This is from J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, and he addresses the subject of the wrath of God, which is, which is one of the themes of Scripture, divine justice. It's what we don't want to miss. And notice what Packer says. It's the top quote there. He says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Would a God who did not react adversely to evil in his world be morally perfect? Surely not. But it is precisely this adverse reaction to evil which is a necessary part of moral perfection that the Bible has in view when it speaks of God's wrath. You see, if we leave, if we don't take uh, judgment into consideration, if we disregard divine judgment, we miss out on the justice of God. We miss out on what God is really like, that he is perfect justice and perfect love. So there's a third thing that we miss out on if we disregard the justice of God. The first is we, is we, we miss the danger of rejecting Christ. Second, we miss the justice of God and how right his justice is. And then thirdly, we miss the urgency of the gospel. The urgency of proclaiming the gospel as a church. There's a, there's a really uh, memorable scene uh, from the movie, the movie Titanic, which came out, you know, ages ago. It's a memorable scene in that movie. You know, the Titanic, the sinking of the Titanic. I think it was 1912 or 1913. It's a memorable scene at the end where as the, the, there aren't enough lifeboats for everybody and the Titanic is sinking and it's this slow process and so you have these people getting out of the boat and into the icy cold water. And some people have life rafts and some people don't. And uh, what's memorable about that scene is that there, there are people who go back to people that are in the water and they pull them out of the water and they invite them to join in their life raft. And what, what they're doing, they are rescuing those people. They are saving those people from death. It is, a, it is a beautiful picture of presenting the gospel. It is a beautiful picture of, ev of evangelism. What are they being saved from? People are going back and they're inviting them into their boat. Just, just, a, just a beautiful picture. Luke 19.10 
Jesus says this about himself. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He has come to seek and to save the lost. What does that mean? Jesus came down from heaven. He left his throne above. He was born of a virgin. He lived his life. He proclaimed the gospel, but he said his reason for coming was to seek and to save you, to seek and to save the lost. Now, let me ask you this question. What were you saved from? What has he saved you from if he has saved you? If not, what it says in verses 30 and 31, and we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What did Jesus, what did Jesus do? He came along, it says in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, that he would leave the 99 sheep and go after the one who was lost. Why? To save him. To save him from what? To save him from the justice of God and the wrath of God. We are sinners, but we need a savior. There is a great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter nine where the apostle Paul is talking about his mission. He gave up everything to bring the gospel where Christ was not named. And, he, and here's what Paul said about his mission. He said, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. See, that is part of the mission of Lake Baldwin Church. It is part of why we exist. We are in the raft. We have been rescued and we're going back and rescuing people. Paul said, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Save from what? They are being saved from the wrath. They are being saved from the vengeance. They are being saved from divine judgment. No wonder C.T. Studd, who is a great English cricket player, and he, he got involved in, in missions to India, he said, some wish to live within the, within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. In this church, there are ways that we think about it. We believe that love will find a way. We believe that God has called us there to go to people that are sinking, that need a savior, that need Christ. It's why we support global missions. We've actually learned that there are probably three ways that people in Central, let's bring it, bring it up to this time period right now. You look at people in Central Florida, they are out there jogging around Lake Baldwin. They are jogging around your neighborhood. They're doing all, they're not thinking about God. So how do we reach, how do we as a church reach people who need to be saved, who need to be rescued? Paul said, I become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. So what are our means? What are our means? Here's what we've learned. Three things, the way people come to Christ in this church. Number one, relationships. Most people come to faith in Christ through the friends and family plan. They have somebody that they know that they trust that will present the gospel to them, that will let them know of the good news of the gospel. That's one way, that's one of our means. It's relationships, it's one of the most important. That's how God can use you. Even if you don't have the gift of evangelism, you can make a friend, you can pray for someone, you can invite them to church, you can invite them to our Advent services. There's a second way that we reach out to people that we think has been really effective, and that is just basically letting people know that we're here. So part of what we'll do during the Advent season, for example, is we will send out invitations to our Advent services, including our candlelight service on Christmas Eve, invitations to this 
community right around us, which is Winter Park Pines, this whole zip code, the whole zip code in Baldwin Park, and we're gonna let them know that Advent services are here. Why? Because people need to be saved. People need the gospel. It's a great time of year. It's when everybody around us is talking about the coming of the Savior, and we have a chance to introduce them to salvation. So just telling our story that way, external communication. And then the third thing, the third bridge that we have learned that really works around here, especially in Baldwin Park, is the bridge of events. Now, a lot of you might not live in Baldwin Park, but we wanna invite you to come, become, come part of the mission of sharing our life raft with people in Baldwin Park. That parade route that Chris talked about will be lined with thousands of people. We're gonna have our float, and we're gonna do it, and it's really quick. The parade starts at seven o'clock, we're gonna have people going alongside and people are literally reaching out for these glow sticks and these invitations. We're giving them out to kids and to families and to everybody and we're letting them know about what's going on in Advent season. So I wanna challenge you to not miss out on the urgency of presenting the gospel. See, if we don't believe in the judgment of God, we think, well, why are we doing this? We're just telling people how to, how to have a better life. We hope they will have a better life, but it's more than that. It's about Corbin's baptism. It's about your baptism. It's about their baptism. It's about being rescued. It's about being saved. I want to let you know something. I, I, that, that quote that I quoted a moment ago, some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. We want to, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's a pretty, that's a pretty radical statement, but I want to let you know what is in that rescue shop? What is in our Advent services? What is in what we're offering on that parade route? What is it that we offer to people if we give them basic Christianity to read or and we invite them to something? What is it? I want you to think about the time that Jesus, right before his death, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? He was there with his disciples, and he prayed to his father Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This was his mission. But you remember when he was praying and he was sweating drops of blood and his human anxiety had gotten the best of him. And so he prayed to his father. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup was he talking about? It was the cup of divine justice. It was the cup of the wrath of God. Jesus was about to go to the cross and he was gonna drink the cup of wrath and be the sacrifice in your place and in my place. And that is the beauty of the gospel and that is what we offer to people. It is that Jesus was our substitute. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that you and I will actually miss judgment. We will, we, we, we will be missing judgment not because of our works but because of Christ having drunk the cup of God's wrath. What a thing to be thankful for. And what a reason, what a reason to be captured in our hearts with the urgency of the gospel, to really realize that our church, we are building a community, we are gathering for worship, but we also have this mission to pray for and to trust God for, to reach out to people all across this city. I wanna close with just a couple of thoughts before our closing, our closing song. I want to go back to that passage in Psalm 116 that I read before our, our Thanksgiving time and our sharing time. And I want you to look at this, this in a little bit different way. In Psalm 116, 
Remember I read this, verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I want you to think about the greatest benefit of all, and that is salvation. You have been saved. Christ has drunk the cup of wrath for you. And look at what this verse says here. It says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. You see, because Christ drank that cup of wrath at the cross, you and I, this Thanksgiving, with our families, can lift up that cup of salvation. And when you get to share what you're thankful for, it's all of the temporal blessings, but it is also the eternal blessing of what Christ did for you on the cross. John Newton wrote a book, or wrote a, excuse me, wrote a song, he may have written a book, John Newton wrote a song called Amazing Grace. Why is grace amazing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Saved from what? Divine judgment. We miss divine judgment because we have been saved by Christ. It is amazing grace. So I love amazing grace. It's one of the best hymns ever. But in a minute, we are gonna sing my favorite hymn, which was also written by John Newton and I want you to notice the words, if you, go to your, uh, if you go to your bulletin, this song, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder, we're gonna sing that in just a moment. The fourth verse, I wanna read these words to you, or you can look at them in your bulletin. John Newton wrote these words back in the 18th century. He says, let us wonder, grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. Now think about this, if it weren't for divine justice and God, we wouldn't even need his mercy. But because justice is true, we need it and we have it. Let us wonder, grace and justice, join and point to mercy's store. There's no limit to his mercy. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. It is over. You are forgiven. You are free because he has washed us with his blood. If you're not a believer today, we need to have a conversation. Let's talk. If you're not sure where you stand, let's talk about that and let's get it settled and let's get you baptized after you put your faith in Christ. I would love for you to do that. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ today, don't reject Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, give thanks for his salvation and let's offer our, light our lifeboat to other people. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we will, I will freely admit that this is a very challenging text from your word, and yet we thank you so much, Lord, that we have the truth given to us in your word, which makes us all the more grateful, all the more ecstatic that we can love and sing and wonder because of what you have done for us, and we pray these prayers together in Jesus' name.